Well, welcome everyone. For those of you who uh, we haven't met yet, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here. Great, uh, great to see you and have you with us here today. If we haven't met yet and you'd like to grab coffee sometime, let me know. I'm going to be gone this week, but I'd uh, love to connect with you and, and get to know you a little better. I uh, want to also announce today, as if we haven't had enough announcements, right? I want to announce today that we, uh, we have a baptism that's going to be happening uh, this afternoon. Aaron, Aaron Brady is going to be baptized over at the campus at Northwestern, so we are excited about that, that she'll be baptized. And if you've never been baptized before and you'd like to talk about that, we would love to talk to you about that. Just grab me after the service. We can, we can talk more about baptism and, and what, that's, what that's about. Um, I'm also excited. I'm excited about a lot of things today. I'm also excited that Josiah is going to be sharing with us. So Josiah, why don't you come on and give it the place and let me introduce you a little bit here. Um, Josiah and his wife Pat have been with us from the beginning. In fact, from as long as we've been having services, they've been with us. When we had members, they were, they were signing up right away, and they've been a part of this community since the beginning. Uh, many of you know Josiah. If you've been around here for a while, you've, you've met him. He leads, uh, he and his, his wife and others facilitate a course or a class that meets usually during this hour called Replay, where people come and discuss the message. Uh, he'll share some of the other things that they've been involved with, but it's great to have him here. Well, we have been, for those of you who are new, we've been in a series. We've been doing a teaching series on the idea of margin. We've talked about margin in time. We've talked about margin in finances. And today's topic is going to be margin when it comes to morality, putting space between us and, and situations we shouldn't put ourselves in. And as I was thinking, see if I can do a better job this day, this, this hour. Um, as I was thinking about that idea, not because he has fallen into great sin, that is not where we're going with this. Um, Last service was, and as I was thinking, naturally I thought of Josiah. Yeah, as I was thinking about There's a reason, anyway. Um, the, uh, but, but what I was trying to say that first service, what I'm trying to say now, is here's a guy who's, who's living with margin. He, he and his wife are doing such an admirable job of identifying areas that they should put margin in. And so I appreciate that. And at different times when we've talked, and, and I've heard your heart for others, and when you've seen others, some of the greatest pain that you've had is when people have not done that. And so I thought, boy, this would be a great Sunday just for me to sit down and listen to the wisdom that's going to come forth from, from Josiah. So let's pray for him as he brings a word from God to us. Lord, I thank you that you did exactly that in that first service, um, that you spoke through Josiah, that you took the words that you had written down for us so many years ago, and you brought fresh insights coming from this, uh, this disciple of, of yours. So, Lord, we pray now that as he shares these words you've given him, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive, Lord, as you speak through him. So, Father, do it again as you did in the first service. Speak through Josiah, and then give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, so that we can apply this important, important teaching from you through him. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, thanks. Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, it's good to be here. I'm excited. Uh, as Chris was mentioning, my name is Josiah. My wife, Kat, and I um, kind of have been on board. We had never been part of a church plant before coming here, so it's been an exciting time to, to go from the planting process and the growing. Uh, so we've really enjoyed our time here. Um, there are a couple of things that we do. Um, may have met some of you. We generally go to the first service because uh, we have a small group uh, replay that we do. It's kind of a chance to talk. Um, if you've ever wished that the service was a little more interactive, um, that's kind of the opportunity to do it. So we take the sermon from the, the first uh, service. Thank you. Um, searching. Um, and, and then we're able to just to kind of engage and talk about it. So it's a fun opportunity. Um, so this, uh, we're going on break here until the second week of September. So if you're ever interested in doing that, um, that's an open invitation. Um, it's a group that 
has the, the opportunity to come and go kind of as you please. Well, the, the second thing that we um, kind of do is we're involved in the compassion, justice, and mission team. Um, so the table out front that rotates, talks about our different partners, is uh, one of the things. And we have some great partners uh, that we get to work with here. So it's really exciting. Well, um, as as I was preparing for this, this sermon series and, and when Chris and I sat down um, and talked about it, um, looking at margin, I think, is such an important thing. And a few weeks ago, Chris talked about just the concept of margin. Why is margin important to build into our lives? Um, and what does it mean to not live all the way out to the very edges of what we can do and give ourselves some wiggle room? So that was kind of the first week. Second week, we dialed in a little more specifically into Sabbath and rest. And why is it important to build margin into our time? Um, and, and what does shalom, like experiencing shalom, God's peace, mean for us as followers of him? Well, then last week we talked about finances and building uh, margin into our finances, which is something that I know hit me and, and a lot of people that I talked to really could kind of identify and resonate with that. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about moral margins. Um, and the, the imagery that kind of came up as we were preparing for this and going um, was the image of guardrails. Um, if you are a driver or have been on a road, you have seen guardrails. Um, it's one of the things that I tend not to notice um, unless I'm preparing a sermon and then you see them everywhere. Um, but the, the two kind of cases when I tend to notice guardrails are when someone collides with them is the, the first. If you have ever been a new driver on ball tires in a Minnesota winter and have done that slow, steady skid until you hit a guardrail, you're glad that they're there. You also notice them. Um, or if you're driving by and you see a guardrail that's just been mangled and you wonder, what happened? How did this get crushed? It kind of calls it to your attention. Um, so guardrails, uh, the second instance that I think guardrails really pop into your awareness is when they're not somewhere you wish they were. Um, my family took a trip to Mexico when I was in middle school. So we went to Monterey. We had some friends down there we were visiting. And we were going into the mountains for one of these days, going to hang out, eat some food, visit, just really have a good time uh, by this river up there. And it was a beautiful place. To get there, we had to drive on this road. And this road remains one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. On the left-hand side of the road was just a mountain going up, sheer cliff. Then we had this itty-bitty patch of gravel that did not feel wide enough for the car that we were in to, to sit on. And then on the right-hand side, there was nothing. Certain doom, death. I was convinced we were going to slide off and, and just be horribly, horribly mangled. And it was a long ways down. So it was made worse by the fact that where I was sitting in the car, looking out to the side, I couldn't see the edge of the road. So we're driving, riding on this, and it's bad enough just going down the center of the road, and then a car approaches us from the other side. So then we have to go from the center, where I'm terrified, to the outside edge, and I still can't see anything, and that car goes to the other, and then we pass each other and continue on. Well, this happened a number of times, and each time your heart just starts going. I really, really wished there was a guardrail there. I wish there was one so I could see where the edge is. And that's one of the things that guardrails do. They kind of let us know, all right, the edge is here, and they pop it up and they call attention to it. The other thing they do is they, they help kind of cushion the blow. If you crash into a guardrail, it's not good. You're probably going to ding your car. But guardrails are generally set up in places um, where minor mistakes would have major consequences. I wanted a guardrail on that mountain road because the consequences of missing the edge were going to be really severe. 
We gen- you generally see guardrails on bridges next to lakes, um, areas where going off the road is going to be worse than simply ending up in the ditch. Um, so as, as we were kind of looking at this and, and wrestling with this, the imagery um, kind of stuck in looking at with moral guardrails, how do we apply this? And I think the, the notion is that there are some areas in our life that are significant and severe that we don't want to cross over and we don't want to slide off because they're that important. Well, if you have a Bible, um, we're going to dive in here in a second. Um, but before we do, I just want to kind of take a time out and, and do a little disclaimer here. Um, I'm the type of person that if I see where a speaker is going and it makes me nervous, my brain can shut off because um, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think the, the area of kind of um, moral guardrails can be one of those areas. A lot of people have been burned um, in the past by um, teachings on this. So I just want to kind of clear the air and, and let you know kind of where we're headed. Um, I think there are two dangers um, when approaching this topic. And one of them is to, to not have any guardrails whatsoever, just to, to wing it, to kind of go loose. And I've seen people um, close to me that, that have done that, and you going too close to the edge can slide off. And when, when the, the stakes are high, that can be a really serious consequence. So that's one extreme that I don't think is wise to go over. But I think the other extreme is, is just as dangerous, and that's to put up guardrails and rules and restrictions around everything. Because where the, the guardrail here can give you a sense of security and safety, when all you have is a maze of, of restrictions and rules and regulations, it doesn't feel safe anymore. It feels like a maze or a cage that you're having to try to go through. So that's the, the other extreme that we're going to try to avoid. So with that in mind, um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 5. It's where we're going to be spending most of our time here today. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the back. If you need to borrow one for today, that's great. If you don't have a Bible at home, please, when you leave, take it home with you. Um, our gift, no strings attached, nothing uh, to do there. So um, this is the verse I kept coming back to and back to and back to as um, I was preparing for this message. Um, this is Jesus' teaching. And he said, if your right hand causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Anybody that says that scripture isn't difficult to understand sometimes, I think misses verses like this. Um, When I was a kid, I was scared to death of this verse. I remember hearing it in in church and just thinking, I love Jesus. I want to follow that. I do naughty things. So is he saying I need to chop off parts of my body when I sin because I'm going to be in trouble really, really quick? Um, if you're wondering that, the answer is no. We'll get to why uh, in a little bit, but, but the answer is no. And I think in this, um, why is Jesus teaching this way? Because it's kind of a gruesome, gross example. And he uses it a couple of times. He talks later about uh, treatment of kids and how we, we approach uh, kids, and he, he uses a similar example. Um, so why is he doing this? Well, for one, it gets our attention. Um, this is kind of a shocking thing, and, and it wakes people up. Um, but I think more than that, he's actually serious in, in one sense. Um, and let's go into this right now. So if you've ever played the game Would You Rather, um, it's a game where you're presented with two options. Um, either both options good, and you're forced to choose which one you think is better, or both options are bad. And Jesus is playing kind of a version of that where both options are bad. So option number one is chop off your hand or lose a body part. Option number two is be forever separated from God, because that's what hell is, eternal separation from God. And Jesus, in his teaching, is saying, look, 
If your two options are to lose a part of your body, which is bad, or to be forever separated from God, which is worse, this is the one that you want to go with because it's not as severe. Now, in tough verses, I think it's important not just to take them in their, their little thing, but to back up, get a running start, go past them. So we're going to back up just a couple of verses and see um, what Jesus is talking about here. Um, so in this, we see he's, he's teaching on adultery. And he says to his, his audience, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So right here, we, we see Jesus focusing on the heart. The, the action, your hand doesn't sin. Your eye can't sin. He's saying that, that sin is coming from within. And throughout scripture, we're going to do a real quick rundown. You don't have to flip to all of these. But there are a lot of times that um, God talks about the heart. Uh, Genesis 6, 5, this is right before the flood. Um, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So that's before. This is, this is why he sent the flood. This is after the flood. So supposedly things are better now, right? No. Um, this is after Noah and his family are offering sacrifices. Uh, God says, never again will I curse the ground because of human beings, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Um, going on, we have Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And Jesus himself, um, in Matthew a little bit later, is teaching, out of the heart come evil thoughts. And then has kind of a slew and, and list of those. So right now, we're looking. The, the hand is not the, the sinning agent. It's the heart. And fortunately for all of us, Jesus didn't say, if your heart causes you to sin, get rid of it, because we'd all be in trouble um, on that one. So, so what, are we, what are we to make of this? What are we to do um, with this? I think... Jesus is trying to teach the seriousness here. Sin causes barriers. Sin causes separation. Um, one of the reasons that um, adultery, infidelity is so serious is that it creates a significant rift between two people. But more than that, if, if you've ever had uh, a friend or a loved one or an acquaintance that's gone through this, it affects more than just those two people. It destroys a lot of connections. Sin also destroys connection between us and God. So if you've ever wronged somebody, more than, than just kind of a little misunderstanding, but really done something kind of mean, awful, nasty, if you have siblings, my guess is that you've done this, as have I. Um, even if they don't know about it, there's that awkwardness, that kind of feeling of, of ugh, when relating to them. And that's, that's that separation. That's what sin is. So, so in this, God is, is teaching us that, you know, Sin is serious. Sin is serious. It causes separation, and we don't want to go through that. Well, Matthew um, 5, 6, and 7, um, the verses that we've been taking most of our stuff from, is the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever given. Um, if you've ever, never gone through it before, I really suggest some time, carve out a block of time, sit down and read the three chapters together. Um, it's, it's good stuff, but a lot of it is, is challenging. A lot of it's like this. Um, so the the... Sermon on the Mount to back up starts, Jesus is teaching, he has the Beatitudes, the blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. Kind of familiar, we like those. He goes on, talks about salt and light, um, kind of a, a familiar one. And then he, he starts talking about the law. He says, do not think uh, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, 
until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So in this, Jesus is not criticizing the law. The, the law of Moses, the law that his audience knows, is don't commit adultery. He's, he's not removing the law. In fact, he's, he's kind of saying, you know what, this is so important, I'm worried about your heart. I'm not just worried about your action. It's not that you can go up to this point and be fine, and if you take that little step, then it's, it's gone there. He's like, I'm concerned about what's happening inside. So let's go on. Um, he goes on to say, Therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of one of these commands of the law and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, so the Olympics are on right now. The Olympics are a lot of fun to watch. They're also a really great opportunity to feel horribly inferior in any number of ways um, of your life. So I can jump in a pool, I can swim and not drown. Um, but I am nowhere near the swimmer that the worst person that jumps into that Olympic pool is. So the, the worst person, the person that has no shot of getting the medals, is still a better swimmer than I. And if Jesus in this had said, for I tell you that unless your swimming ability surpasses that of Michael Phelps or the guy who surpassed Michael Phelps, um, thank you, Ryan Lochte, um, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I would be sunk. Literally, I would have no shot. That's kind of what he's saying. To the audience, the Pharisees, these were the people that got it. They knew the law. They knew it forwards. They knew it backwards, inside out, and upside down. And they followed it. Jesus has a lot of harsh things to say. A lot of times um, we, we think of Pharisees and, and they get kind of a bad rap. But look at this. Um, again, from Matthew. He says, woe to you. There's this whole kind of verbal beatdown that he does for him. Um, says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, um, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he doesn't say, you should have done this, forget about you know, giving the tenth. No, he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. The law said, give a tenth of, of your stuff. And these Pharisees are so concerned about following the law, they hold it in such high regard that they're going through their spice cabinet and, and doling it out into a tenth and giving that to, to God. And Jesus is saying, look, yeah, that's good. Following the law is good, but I'm concerned with your heart. So... What hope is there? I can't beat even Michael Phelps, Ryan Lochte, any of those people swimming. Um, I can't beat the Pharisees when it comes to, to um, upholding the law. So what hope is there? Without Jesus, there's none. We can't do it better than them. They were doing it the best that they could. Um, looking at all those verses about the heart, the heart is evil. My heart is evil. The only prerequisite that there is to being a Christian, the only thing that you need to do to qualify to be a Christian is to be an imperfect person. Fortunately, I qualify. I mess up all the time. So this, this is the thing. Jesus was the one who kept the law perfectly but also had the perfect heart. He had the heart that kept the law instead of just the outside trappings. Well, going through, the goal of this is a, a transformed heart. So how does this apply? How can we live this out going through? Um, again, the, the concept of guardrails. We don't put guardrails up everywhere. We put guardrails up in areas where minor mistakes would have major consequences. 
Um, so I thought it only fitting um, in a time that we're talking about moral failures that I would share with all of you, one of my own. Um, don't worry, we're not going to have it turn to your neighbor and, and do this afterwards. So this is just one that I'm going to do. Um, and this is a giant moral failure in my life, uh, the inside-out carrot cake cookie from Trader Joe's. <laughs> Bear with me here. Um, so I'm a big fan of carrot cake. My wife is too. We were at Trader Joe's. We saw this, picked it up, put it in the cart. Um, got home, cat had an errand to run, so I'm sitting there putting the groceries away. And there are six cookies in here. So I was like, well, I've put the groceries away. You know, I've earned a little treat. So I had one of these. And as a fan of carrot cake, it was amazing. There was a, tons of frosting in the middle. You could eat it without a, a fork. It was really good. So I ate one, then two, and three. And once I hit three, I had hit the halfway point. And so then to go any further, I had to rationalize. And I said to myself, well, we never actually said we were going to do a 50-50 split. Um, I can always go back to Trader Joe's and, and pick up another one. So by the time Kat got back from her errand, I'd eaten five out of the six of these. Yeah. So my wife, fortunately, this did not cause a giant rift for us. She wasn't angry. She thought I was ridiculous, told me I was, and, and it was true. Um, so I went the next day and, and, like a good husband, and picked up um, the treat that I had deprived her of. And out of that pack, I only ate four. <laughs> I share this with you because I learned slower, but I, I eventually learned that I cannot be trusted with inside-out carrot cake cookies from Trader Joe's. So a, a boundary that I've had to set up is I'm not going to have these in my house. Now, some of you are probably thinking, this is ridiculous. Uh, carrot cake is disgusting. Why would this be a problem? <laughs> um, one of my friends here, Brian Jameson, um, is somebody who's kind of ambivalent towards carrot cake. So I sent him home with a box of these. And anybody who knows Brian is not going to be surprised that he submitted a written report to me <laughs> outlining his findings. Um, and his, his initial view was, these are a lot better than I thought. This, this would be dangerous for me to have. Um, but fortunately, I got a follow-up uh, report, which, which stated, you know, after having it, um, not only is my, my wife's uh, cookies, are they better, um, but they're, they're really too sweet. And I think even if I saw these, I don't think I would have it. I'd have something else. This really wouldn't be a problem. I, I wouldn't see getting them. It would be unfair of me to, to advocate for a boycott of these cookies because I can't control myself in this area. It would be unfair of me to tell Brian, you cannot have these cookies. And if you do, you are doing a wrong thing because it's not an issue for him where it is for me. Now, this may seem like a bit of a silly example. And for some of you, it would be. But for me, this is an area that, that if I ate nine cookies a day for any extended period of time, that's not good for me. Uh, but it's also not good for my self-discipline and it's not good for, for what I'm going. So this is a boundary in an area that I needed to set. Well, I think for, for all of us... Um, we have areas like this. Um, so my challenge for you um, is to think about this. Think about an area in your life where there would be a minor consequence if you went too far, if you stepped off the edge. Uh, so in your notes, um, there are kind of two sections. And in the spirit of the Olympics, we're going to kind of do a gold, silver, bronze um, approach to this. So in it, it, it has two blanks. One is a dangerous stretch of road for me is, and then my guardrail. 
Um, so kind of the, the bronze level to, to challenge, to, to get up onto the podium, I would challenge you with this. Identify an area in your life that the consequence, that, that is significant and is serious, um, that you want to guard, that you want to protect. Um, if you're a married person, your marriage is one of those things. Um, and there are a lot of different areas. So it, it doesn't have to be for anyone else, but just think for myself, what's something that's significant enough that I want to protect? Um, so bronze level, kind of write it down. Identify it, write it down, and then figure out a way that you're going to guard and protect that. Um, kind of the silver medal, the, the step above, um, is actually identify a safe person. Um, identify a Christian friend that you can trust and share this with them. Say, hey, this is something that I'm struggling with. This is an area that I've identified, um, and, and this is what I'm doing to protect myself um, and not, not step over the edge here. Um, the gold medal, and this is the, the tough one, um, is I would challenge you to do those two things and then ask that person to follow up with you. Give them permission and say, hey, this is an area I'm struggling with. This is a, a guard that I've, I've put up. Can you check in with me? Can you ask me how it's going? And if we do that as the body of Christ, supporting one another without, without judging, without being harsh, and realizing that, yeah, it, it may seem silly to me. I may not struggle with that, but I'm realizing that you do. How can I support you in this? What would that look like? What would it look like if, if we were taking our, our marriages seriously and realized that, you know what, for me, having this particular friend may be a boundary that I'm not going to cross because friendship may cause too many steps to go down that eventually I'm going to cross that line with this person. Um, maybe you're realizing that I can't go fishing because fishing to me is going to lead me to abuse alcohol. Or, or maybe it's I can't be in these certain areas because drugs are, are going to be there and I can't control myself in that area. Um, these guardrails don't have to be for everyone. I, I don't want to put my guardrails on you. Um, we, we have the law for that. This is what God gave us so we, we can know how to react and to protect us from damage. But in areas that we are weaker, rather than being harsh, if we can support one another, if we can encourage one another, if we can celebrate when we succeed and help pick up repair the damage, and get back on aware of Christ's forgiveness. How would that transform our lives? This is, this is part of the community that I'd want to be part of. So we're going to have Chris come up and uh, kind of close us off, but I, w- I w- just want to leave us with that challenge. into messy situations and so many of the messy situations if only people had put some space between themselves and bad situations you know if only that college girl would have not put herself in a situation where she's alone with this guy who had been drinking you know is it her fault or something no but what if you know and and what if we could go on and on and on right so many so many of these things if we could just Oh, if we, if we could just see, okay, there's where I don't want to be, what would put me safe? So, so please, 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 please do what Josiah just asked you to do. Identify an area that you know, here's, here's where I don't want to be. Here's falling off the cliff for me, right? Do this. If you didn't already do it, do that. Here's falling off the cliff. Okay. What would God have me to put in place? And like you said, it's going to be different for every one of us, all right? So please, please, please do that. 
Well, um, I hope this has been a helpful series, and thanks to those of you who said it has been. Um, I hope that going forward, we're able to look at our schedules and say it is, it is insane for us to schedule every minute of every day, but to build in margin. And I hope uh, we're able to, to come away from this series going, it is insane for us to spend every dollar that comes in, but in, instead it'd be wise for us to put margin there. And I hope, I hope, I hope you came away from today saying, okay, God, what would you have me to put in place? Or what would you have for me to strengthen that, that could keep me from getting too close to the edge? So I hope this has been a helpful series, as I hope the next series will be. Starting next week, we're starting a brand new series. And I'm really excited for this one. I was excited for the one we've been in. I'm really excited for this one as well. It's gonna, the series is going to be called It Takes a Lot of Faith. Growing up, I thought it took a lot of faith to be a Christian. And does it take a lot of faith to be a Christian? Yes, it does. But I was taught growing up that faith was something religious people had. And non-religious religious people, they based their life on facts. Christians based their life on faith. Non-religious people based their faith on facts. Is it that simple? No, does, and, and next week we're going to jump right in. Does it take a lot of faith to be an atheist? Yes. So that's where we're going next week. Hope you can join us. Please stand. Let's pray as we go forth from this place. Oh, and before I say anything else, Sorry. it's so important that we hear this announcement. So we, you know, with God, all things are possible. And uh, with God, all things are possible. And one of the things that I've learned here today is that you can bring a word from God in less than uh, 40 minutes. So uh, I hear some amens to that. So, all right, let's, uh, let's pray. Now, stand, please. Anything else? For anyone? All right, we got time? No, all right, let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for bringing this in important, important message. And I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be so kind to us, kind to us, as to give us guardrails that you would have for us. These, these things that as we bump up into them, we can go, oh, oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, for Lord, for protecting me from going over that cliff. So Lord, help us to know what they are. I pray that you'll help us to identify people in our lives that can help us with those, that can encourage us and support us. Not so that it's a stifling, legalistic thing, but instead it's a us in trouble. So Lord, help us with that. Help us with that. And as we go forth, Lord, we thank you that you always go with us, that your Holy Spirit is available to us to convict us when we're getting too close to the edge, to steer us away from trouble, and to lead us down a path that leads to the life that you have for us. So Lord, we thank you that that Spirit goes with us. We pray that blessing as we go forth, that that, that, that Spirit would continue to lead and guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen. Good job.